Today, we are going to work on a topic that's near and dear to my heart, which is this idea of how we listen um, through mindfulness, this idea of how we can use a musical principle um, <clears throat> of call and response to, um, to go deeper, go deeper into our own work with our own emotions, thoughts, um, identities, and also deeper work with our relationships and the world around us. Um, <clears throat> where this came about is, um, so I'm an, I'm, before I was a monk, I was a musician and I guess I'm still a musician, <laughs> once a musician, always a musician. And, uh, it's something I've been doing since I was probably eight years old. My dad's a jazz musician. So I grew up around the art and culture of jazz. And, um, at the same time, I went through lots of phases of music, uh, different kind of, I'm a, mainly a drummer. So different phases of drumming. And in my late teens, um, I started to encounter um, like music directly from uh, the African diaspora, uh, West African West African drumming, <clears throat> as well as all of the branches in, in diaspora in diaspora where that's reached. And of course, you know, for some of you, um, I don't know what kind of music you're into, but but most likely you have come across uh, music that takes on uh, this, this or, or comes from, or originates from um, call and response, right? So all blues, rock, uh, rap, hip hop, any genres and kind of extensions of that, um, pretty much all popular music comes from a form of call and response. I'm gonna talk about it a little bit more rooted in, um, in you know, folkloric African music, because that's what I, you know, trained in for a little while before I got into Buddhism, as well as in also Afro-Cuban and a little bit of Afro-Brazilian music. But um, anyways, this is more of a Dharma talk. This is more of a meditation. So it's more of a theme of how we can understand this as both a an extremely healing and uh, relational communal practice, call and response, whether it's musical or not, and how <clears throat> we can also start to see it as... Um, kind of an interplay of how life functions, right? Meaning, you know, we're always getting some sort of response uh, from our outer surroundings. We're also getting inner responses from our thoughts and emotions. And the question is, are we listening? Are we open to listening to those, right? Are we open to also releasing some of our fixed ideas, you know, be it internal or external, like I'll just, you know, keep it simple and say internal. Can I release some of my fixed ideas around certain thoughts, um, strong beliefs, strong kind of thinking that's arising, as well as maybe certain emotional patterns that are arising in my body. So we're going to start there. But the whole idea is that I think, I believe that call and response is one of the most natural ways to communicate with ourselves and others in the world. And there's a reason why many cultures um, adopted it as a style of music, because it also fosters compassion and fosters empathy. It fosters um, a way to connect in community where we're not just sort of, you know, up here saying this and it's very one-sided, it's very linear. For some of you, this is going to be a newer idea, possibly a newer concept. For some of you, this is not going to be, you know, a newer concept. So wherever you're at, you know, wherever your location is at in relation to embodying call and response as a way of being a healthy human being in the world, just approach it from that place. So if you already have a strong practice of empathy and compassionate listening and deeper listening in your relationships and your work, etc., I'm going to ask you to deepen that today. 
if you don't know what that is or you're not sure if you have a relationship to that, then wonderful. Uh, we're here to connect on that. We're here to also deepen where you're at today, right? So just a, a quick uh, share. Um, you know, I musical call and response is something that, that I, as I said, uh, I worked with at a young age, listening to other band members, learning to create a better musical experience for the listener by being attuned to the band members around me, especially when playing musical styles like jazz, right? So, you know, there's there's call and mini call and responses happening all the time, and there's bigger call and responses. But the whole idea is, I believe, a principle of inner goodness, of inner compassion, of trying to set a tone that is uh, producing something that others can enjoy, that others can benefit from. You know, from a Buddhist perspective, we would also say that others can actually be relieved of suffering from. So, taking this musical principle a little bit deeper, it's actually all about where we stand and how we uh, choose to be in the world and what we uh, habituate to and what we practice. To me, this is kind of at the essence of um, deeper intentions for, you know, Buddhist meditation, per se, where we really reflect on and think of compassion is not so much, it, it is about an action, but it's more about a way of being. And so for me, um, this was not, you know, natural, even though, as I said, I, I had some experience uh, with it as a musician listening with my ears. I didn't know how to do that. You know, when I first encountered meditation, I didn't know how to do that with my emotions, uh, with my own inner struggles. So in my view, we have to start there. Otherwise, we're not going to know really how to attune in deeper ways to others, right? I'm sure we can learn, and there's there's many styles out there, but I find meditation, if we use it in this kind of way, to be one of the most evocative ways to develop deeper empathy and compassion. So I just want to say that, that this doesn't always come natural to us. For me, this is something I've had to learn, and I'm continually learning, right? It's not something where we're there. It's a process we enter into. So for me, this sense of, I mean, we could use, use the word call, but it's really not call. It's just sort of like how we're reacting, you know? We have to start to tune in to a form of, of curiosity with this. For, for me, curiosity is my best friend. And what curiosity means, it just means a sense of openness that, you know, whatever we're believing in, in any moment about ourselves, about others, even about the temperature in the room, that it may or may not be true. Right. So one of my my, my my dear root teacher, Sonia Ramche, he always says, we can practice real but not true. <laughs> so real in this sense means we're not bypassing it. Real means it is cold and there is a coldness in the room. So we're not bypassing and trying to spiritually fantasize our way out of cold, right? Or or hot or whatever it is. That can be real. But the the, the so that's the real part, but not true means that's moving. The heat, the cold is interdependent. You know, our opinions about our, ourselves or others, uh, the emotions that are arising in us and our responses to them, those are also changing and moving all the time. So, in, in traditional Buddha Dharma, we have a Sanskrit word that represents this, which is something I find to be one of the deepest teachings of the Buddha. I would say, for me, top, top, Top three are, number one, uh, the first noble truth, the truth of dukkha. That's one of the most profound teachings of the Buddha. Uh, number two, uh, what I'm describing, the teaching on interdependence, or the Sanskrit word for that is pratitya samudpada. Uh, 
And number three, the, the teaching on shunyata. Like for me, these three are the, are the most profound uh, teachings of the Buddha. Anyway, so, so this idea of pratitya samudpada or interdependence, this is how things are functioning. And so real means we're recognizing we're having some kind of reaction, judgment, um, response to something. And, and the but not true part is the investigation, the curiosity into the interdependent nature of something, right? So it's a little more complicated way to say it. But in, in essence, we have to get really interested in the interdependence within and around us. Otherwise, all that's happening is that we're going to be reacting to um, our own kind of flavor of the moment, right? Whatever our judgment is within that moment, that's going to flavor how we then respond to others. So, as I said in the beginning, I think living from a sense of call and response, uh, using this musical analogy, it's one of the most loving, compassionate ways we can develop ourselves. It's one of the most compassionate ways we can also recapture community. Uh, for those of us who are struggling and feel really alone out there, we have to look, why is that? You know, sure, we might be physically alone, but we also have to look at how are we responding to the world around us? Are we open or are we closed? So this is all about creating more openness. But as I said, starting with oneself. So really, as I said in the practice, um, all meditation is based on this ground, this ground or cultivation of awareness. And awareness, as I defined it, I like to define it in English as this quality of watchfulness. Awareness is something natural. It's something, um, it's actually not religious. It's not, it's not even spiritual. It's just a part of the mind that if left dormant, it won't strengthen. But in meditation, we deliberately strengthen it. We, de we deliberately try to recognize this quality in our mind and we try to bring it out. So to me, this is quite different from getting good at meditation or being able to be still in meditation. To me, those are kind of like preliminaries for the wider field of the cultivation of awareness itself, because it's from that space of watchfulness or awareness that we can, that we can develop richer, uh, more compassionate, more loving responses to ourselves and others, right? So this might be obvious to some of you. But see where you can take this deeper. Where can awareness be, be brought into your life more? And awareness here, I'm not mean awareness of. Um, that's included too. But this is more this kind of raw sense of listening that we can do with the mind. And I say listening, you know, in quotes. It's not literally listening, like sound. It's more we're open to something. We're not judging it, but we're also knowing it. So in a way, awareness is a type of knowing that doesn't include thinking. Right. So I just want to say that for me, for much of my life, um, I did not have a way to do this. I thought 100% I need thinking in order to understand the world. And what the Buddha taught is you don't actually. Actually, you, you, thinking's fine. There's nothing wrong with thinking, but you, we actually don't need it as much as we, you know, no pun intended, think we do. Right. <laughs> so what we need is awareness. And it's this capacity to bear witness, this capacity to be watchful. And as I'm sharing here, this, this communal, relational way we can enter into um, communication with ourselves and others. It's a communication beyond words. It's a communication where we're learning to respond to interdependence. So I just want to put something out here for some of you who are a little bit deeper into to Buddhism. It's a little you know nugget here. Um, you know, how does a person who's realized not self and emptiness, how do they function? 
right? I, I haven't, so I'm just speculating here. So just go with me, you know, <laughs> we'll just speculate from how do they function? Are they choosing? Mm, I, I can see Susie there really needs some, really needs some tender love. Let me go do that. I don't think they're doing that. You know, I don't think, I don't think they, they, they plan and think in the same way we do. Uh, my belief and sort of my current hypothesis is they function more from interdependence and they're responding to minuscule tiny moments of movement and cause and effect and impermanence and their heart is open because they have no self to protect anymore right and so this their practice of awareness has brought them beyond this self-enclosure and so they're open but they're not open in some vague spacey sense they're also they're also able to pay attention to very minute levels of change and interdependence and then respond to that and I just want to put that out there, whether that's true or not, I'm not sure. Maybe, you know, y'all can tell me <laughs> if you're there uh, or, or, you know, we'll see. But it, to me, you know, in that hypothesis, I find so much beauty as another possibility of how we can interact, as another possibility of how we can live life. A bodhisattva, they're, they're, not, they're not off on some other planet, you know. The bodhisattvas who are here on our planet, they're here. But I don't think they, they don't live from fear right? They don't respond from fear. They don't respond from attachment or clinging. So, what are they responding from? This is my whole question, you know? And again, it's not to like compare us to that. It's just to aspire to something. We can see, hey, there's another option for us. You know, bodhisattvas were once sentient beings who were struggling with their, with their emotions, who were struggling with their thoughts. And they practiced, they cultivated awareness, they cultivated compassion and bodhicitta, and they expanded. And so, I like this idea of also call and response being this process, living from a sense of call and response of expansion, where, you know, I can't choose to sort of, how do you say it? I can't choose to be a bodhisattva or not. What I can do is try to become more open. And maybe one day we end up in that space where we don't close again, right? So, we're just choosing to open. That's another way of, of describing what I'm talking about. So I think I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it I'm gonna I'm gonna stop there. Um, this is kind of the main themes I wanted to introduce, but really this is a big topic because for me everything in the Buddhist path is is trying to help us to stop you know stop contracting. You know from from a Buddhist perspective, contraction is artificial. It, it's a response or it's a reaction to to suffering. How do you say it? It's a reaction to pain. It's a reaction to suffering. But the reaction itself, the contraction itself, perpetuates the suffering. So the Buddha had another way. You know, he had another style. Um, and that is to sort of help us to open. And we don't all do it at once. We do it slowly, most of us, right? 